Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. see those of you in the room with me, those of you watching across our many locations, including the prisons. I think that's so fantastic, isn't it? That we can all be one body together, uh, receiving the same kind of teaching and just joining together as one big family. Um, By way of introduction, I'm Dr. Elspeth Darley, that's my official title, Um, and I'm a trustee here at the C3 Church, but I'm also a senior psychologist in the NHS. Now, you've probably heard that spiel already if you joined us last week as we looked at the first in this series, Built to Last, Remain. Now, last week, we focused really on about how the storms and stuff and stresses of life are inevitable, whoever we are, wherever we come from. And the point is that we are to remain with our foundations on Christ so that we remain built to last. Now this week we're looking at built to last restore because we believe that God wants to restore our mental well-being and give us strength to get on with the journey that he has for us even in the midst of darkness. So last week we looked at the stresses and the storms of life, but for a large group of us, in fact 26% of church congregations in the UK are diagnosed with a mental health problem. Now we'll unpack that a little bit, but what really what that means is we're not even talking about the storms and stresses of life, we're talking with everyday basic functioning. That for many people, when they are suffering with a mental health problem, if they're in a mental health crisis, going shopping, Thinking coherently, talking, having relationships, going to work can be really, really difficult. In fact, for some people, when maybe their mental health is at its worst, sometimes they lose touch with reality and they can't even trust their experience of the world. And you know what? We believe that God, through his words, speaks to all of us about this issue. So I said 26%, if you're looking around the room, just imagine 26% of us have probably experienced a mental health problem. And really what that means is you might go to your doctor. Uh, so if, for example, if, uh, if I went to a cardiologist uh, down at Addenbrooke's Hospital, let's say, and I said, oh, is there something wrong with my heart? Uh, I might have some tests done, they'd look into it, and they would diagnose a problem to be able to try and manage the problem, maybe try and treat it. And in the same way, you might go to your GP, a psychiatrist, psychologist, and be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Now, there's a whole range of these different things, but really they they vary from the everyday struggles and normal responses to situations with its severity. In fact, it impacts so much of our life. As I said, maybe it makes the basic functioning in everyday really difficult. And usually this stuff goes on for a long time. There's a longevity to some of these problems that many of us face. In fact, when I talk about restore, I think from the outset it's really important that actually restoration is something that we come to God for again and again and again. Because for many of us, this stuff goes on for a long old time. In fact, sometimes people suffer their whole lives with a mental health disorder. For other people, they might have periods of remission where things get a bit better for a time, and for other people, they'll totally move away from a diagnosis. They might recover entirely, but we want to be real about what people are going through. Now, these mental health diagnoses could be anything from mixed anxiety and depression. That, in fact, is the biggest uh, kind of diagnose that is distributed in the UK. Apparently, 7.8% of the UK population have that diagnosis. And it really takes people out, as I say, of that basic everyday living, such that one-fifth 
of the missed work days in the UK are attributed to the symptoms around this diagnosis. So the question is then, where does mental health problems come from? Now, as I said, there's so many different types of problems, disorders, diagnoses. There are also so many reasons uh, that people might be diagnosed with this, and it could be everything from head trauma. They might have had an injury. Maybe you fell off your bike and you've bashed your head, and then you, you suffer some consequences because of that. Maybe there was a traumatic event in the past. I think four out of t uh, 100 people are maybe diagnosed with PTSD every year in the UK. It could be something about your childhood and some, some circumstances and the way that you grew up. But, you know, it could also be about your basic hormonal functioning. And after you've had a baby, maybe when uh, you were hitting puberty, changes in hormones happened. And again, all these different things can trigger some mental health problems for us. But there's one extra that the Bible talks about, and that is sin. The Bible says that there is another cause one extra cause of psychological distress, which is sin. Now, I don't want to lose you on this point because I think historically, the church and Christians, we've butchered this point when we talk about mental health. But the first point I want to talk about, and it needs to be said, is restoration from sin. So we believe that the Bible says that humanity was created for a relationship with God. But then when we turn outside of that relationship and we start doing stuff that we're not designed to do, or we're not built for, well, then the natural response is maybe a feeling of anxiety, a sense of emptiness and disconnect from the reality that God has given us. We were never designed to live a certain way, and we call that stuff sin. In fact, the Bible, Psalm 32, says, when I kept it all inside, some of the stuff that we do when we walk outside of relationship with God, my bones turned to powder, my words became day-long groans, ah, the pressure never let up, all the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, okay, I'll come clean about my failures, God. Suddenly the pressure was gone, my guilt dissolved, my sin disappeared. What about this one, Psalm 38? There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My sins overwhelm me, a burden too heavy for me. Now, I know that personally this has been true in my life, and I'm not going to share some of the details because I don't think it's particularly helpful, but there was definitely a time in my life that I moved intentionally out of a relationship with God, and therefore I started doing stuff that I just wasn't designed for, I wasn't built for. And in fact, a particular event occurred, and I felt really rejected. Now, rather than running to God, to be accepted and to know my unconditional love and value. I didn't. I looked at the stuff around me. I looked for affirmation, and I kind of got into patterns of behavior and patterns of thinking that were actually quite destructive. And so not only was I dealing with the initial rejection, but I was also dealing with the consequences of the way that I was living it out and trying to solve it. And to be honest, I really then lived with this sense of guilt, kind of sense of regret, um, a real sense of heaviness that I couldn't even put words on. I love how the psalmist links the mind and body together. Just as, for example, when we're feeling anxious, we might get knots in our stomach, or if we're stressed, we'll get a headache sometimes. And in the same way, I just felt exhausted so much. I would sleep a lot, but I never felt rested because I just didn't have a peace about me. And I knew, okay, in the long run, I just need to fess up to God. I love how the psalmist says this. I need to come clean about some stuff. And I love that expression, to come clean, in a sense of I need my conscience cleansed again. 
And I was really scared to do that, because I thought, well, if I do that, yeah, in the long term, it might be better, but actually in the short term, I've got to confront a lot of stuff. I'm probably going to have to fess up to a lot of people about some stuff that I've been doing, and they're going to get hurt, and I'm going to have to navigate all of that. But in the end, I, I did. I came to God, and I said, look, I acknowledge my failures. I'm sorry for moving out of relationship with you. And you know what? I found total acceptance against that rejection, and I slept so well. I had that peace, that past understanding. And then I had to kind of have an outworking of that and make peace with the people around me. In the same way in clinical practice, and I've got consent to share this, a, a non-Christian client said to me, uh, she'd lived with chronic anxiety for years, and she said, Elspeth, when I come to therapy, I just feel so full of bad blood, like there's a heaviness in my veins that I just carry around with me. And when I sit here in therapy with you, or when I take my anti-anxiety medication, it's like a drop of good blood has kind of gone back in me, but it's really just kind of a drop in the ocean. What I really need is for somebody to give me a blood transfusion so that I can come back to life. And I was sat there in NHS practice thinking, ah, I know just the person for this. <laughs> and I don't want to belittle that point, but friends, we believe that Jesus, and we've had communion today, we talk about blood and we talk about an exchange that happened, but really we believe that Jesus on the cross restored that peace between humanity and God himself, that our blood is exchanged and therefore we can come clean. Our consciences can be cleansed from the stuff that we've done, but also from the stuff that other people have done to us that we bear the mark for. Total restoration, total peace found in Jesus. Now, there is a danger then, for example, that if distress is one of the causes, um, sorry, if sin is one of the causes of our psychological distress, that we can medicalize moral issues. What I mean is this, that if you go to therapy, maybe because you're suffering with depression, really chronic low mood, you feel a sense of hopelessness, you feel totally powerless to change anything. In that situation, maybe a root cause of that, for example, is a sense of anger and resentment that you're holding onto, but you're internalizing rather than processing and working out. Maybe it's a sense of a guilty past that you're lugging around with you like bad blood in your veins. Now, a therapist and even medication might help alleviate the distress. It takes kind of the edge off, takes you out of that crisis. It might give you tools to manage that distress so you know how to cope with life and you can just cope better. It might even help you identify, why am I feeling this way? What's triggered this? But it can never heal the initial problem of sin. Listen to this. This is by Alan Frau. I've linked him in your YouVersion app. Secular psychotherapy has no category for sin, which scripture names as the greatest threat to human flourishing or mental well-being that can only be healed by God. Now, I totally believe this, but as I say, church and Christians, we've not done a great job in communicating this. And sometimes we reduce it down and we oversimplify things and we say, well, therefore, all mental health problems is somehow linked to sin, something you've done wrong. Maybe it's because uh, a lack of faith you have. So you, when people want to take medication to alleviate distress, when people want to engage in therapy, which has its place, absolutely, I'm a therapist, the church can sometimes put a bit of a stigma on things, as though somehow it's talking about your relationship with God. But sin is only one cause of psychological distress. So friends, if that has been your experience, I am really sorry. 
In fact, this isn't Jesus' heart at all. In John chapter 9, some religious people come along to Jesus and they say, look, this man has been suffering his whole life. What sin did he or his family commit? And Jesus just kind of looks at them and says, guys, oh my goodness, this guy hasn't committed a sin. His family haven't done anything wrong. This guy's just been born this way. There's suffering. But you know what? There's other reasons for this. So if that has been your experience of church and Christianity, if you're one of the 26% that have experienced a mental health disorder and you experience stigma because of it, I am so sorry. And so point number two then, restoration from decay. As I said, there's many reasons that we experience mental health problems. One of the easiest answers then to say why we do this is simply that our bodies are subject to decay. So earlier this year, I had my gallbladder out because it packed up. It was giving me a lot of pain, a lot of grief. In the same way, maybe you do have a heart problem. Maybe you've got a hip replacement. Our bodies get old. They fail us. And in the same way, our brain is just another organ. So in some ways, we shouldn't be surprised that it is going to let us down. And the Bible is also very, very clear about it. In fact, there's a list behind me which says, the Bible says we have a troubled mind, a depraved mind, a hostile mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. In other words, our psyches, our brains will let us down. It's no surprise to us. Now, I believe in a God who can totally heal us in the here and now. I've heard stories about it. I've experienced it. I've seen it. I believe that in one instance, God can heal us. But I also believe that one day God will heal us, even if we don't see it in the here and now. That one day our bodies will be totally restored. The hips, the heart, the gallbladders, and our brains, our hormone levels. God will totally bring these things into restoration. And so the question is then, for those of us who are experiencing mental health problems and difficulties, maybe we have for a long time, how does the Bible say we should live with this stuff? What are we to do when basic everyday functioning is quite difficult? Psalm 88 was written by a guy called Heman. Isn't that an incredible name? He-Man. That's a bit like a Marvel character, I think. (laughs) I don't know what his powers would be. Maybe songwriting. Because the book of Psalms, we believe, uh, is a songbook. And this is why I've got Byron on stage. He's our worship pastor here. Because I want him to lead us in song. But actually, he's just just, going to speak it out. But Psalm 88, in fact, because it's a songbook that God has given to his people to model how we are to come to him, there's something so insightful about this. This guy, Heman, he was incredibly wise. In fact, one king says he was wiser than all men and his fame was known in the surrounding nations. He was the advisor to King David and King Solomon. If you don't know them, they are hailed as the greatest kings in kind of church history. And he was also a prophet. He heard from God and he spoke the words of God and he wrote this song for us to sing. So the words are going to come behind me. Don't worry about getting your harmonies right. We're just going to speak the words together because this is so insightful. This is a song that God has given us to come to him with. Everyone ready to say it along together? Okay. O oh Lord, God, God of my, of my salvation, salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my, my prayer come, come before you. you. Incline, Incline your, your ear, ear to my cry. cry. For, For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like Like those those whom you remember no more. 
for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, and in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. I spread my hands out to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? In your steadfast love declared in the grave, is your faithfulness in Abaddon? Or are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? O Lord, I cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. How's everyone feeling after that joyful tune? (laughs) In rehearsal, um, when Byron was going through that, he was like, right, everyone, shout hallelujah. At the end of it, that was my impression of his Australian accent. But imagine that, that is a song, it literally ends with the line darkness. So if Byron said, okay, I'm, I've got this banger to sing on a Sunday, I'd be like, okay, I'm all for honesty, but this is a little bit emotional. Maybe we could end with a line of hope or two, something about the promises of God. But thank God, God isn't like me. And we have this psalm to model something for us. So what's he saying? Heman, number one, says that he has been experiencing chronic suffering that has gone unrelieved since his youth. Long-term suffering. Maybe that resonates with some of you. Maybe it's a physical health complaint that you've got. Maybe it is a mental health complaint that you've got. It's something that you've been suffering with for a long time. Number two, Heman feels abandoned by God. He feels abandoned by the person that he loves, and he feels abandoned by his companions. He feels totally isolated, totally cut off. Number three, He also feels abandoned by God because his prayers have gone unanswered. This guy's a prophet. He's incredibly wise. He's a songwriter. And yet when he prays to God, he feels like he is not getting an answer back. Why have you hidden your face from me, God? Unrelieved suffering. Number four, he feels so overwhelmed, he says, I might as well be dead. What is the difference between me being alive and me being dead? That is the reality of this guy's suffering. And I love that, that he is still a man totally respected and admired. He still speaks the words of God and is faithful to him. There's something in this, isn't there, about us coming to God in the darkness. When we don't think that there's any light in the midst of our suffering that we've been enduring and going through, there's something about coming to God in the darkness. So friends, while we wait for total restoration one day, Come to God in the darkness. And this is the third point, come to God in the dark. You know, Heman doesn't exist the the presence of God. He doesn't exist that, he doesn't uh, deny that God exists. He doesn't say, God, I just don't even believe that you're there anymore. In fact, he says, God, I know that you are a healer. I'm coming to you for salvation. In fact, sometimes these facts we believe about God almost add to the confusion and the frustration. I know that you hear me, I'm a prophet. Why can't I hear you talk to me and relieve my suffering, God? 
And what I love is that he models complaining to God rather than complaining about God. Come to God in the darkness with your frustrations. Oh God, I'm so fed up with my misery, I want to kill myself. God, I'm so burnt out, I just don't even want to carry on. And maybe this is really real for some of you, maybe even this week if you're watching online or hearing in the room. Come to God in the darkness. You know, I don't think that Heman suddenly was relieved after praying and singing this song to God, but I do think there was a sense of pressure lifting that he was able to cast himself and lay some of these frustrations and confusions and questions at the feet of God. There was some kind of relief. And I do believe that in the dark, when we do this, even if we don't have the words, in fact, the psalmist says, he groans to God, ah, I don't even have the words. Words fail me. God counts that as worship. And he can gently nourish and sustain us. Point four then, nourishment in the dark. What do I mean? There's a guy called Elijah in the Old Testament. In fact, this guy is a man of prayer. The New Testament, later on in the Bible, basically has a hall of fame. And his profile pick is up there and says, this guy raised people from the dead. He changed the weather. He got fed by kind of birds, totally random stuff. He literally called fire down from heaven. But you know what? When he prayed to God for a miracle about his own personal suffering, nothing really miraculous seems to happen. But this guy is a man of prayer. But listen to this. 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah then went out into the desert and he asked God that he might die. It is enough, O Lord, just take away my life, for I'm no better than dead. And so he lay down and slept. And then behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise, eat. So he did. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey ahead is too great for you. So Elijah rose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food. What's going on here? Elijah wants to die. God, why aren't you answering my prayers? I've seen your miracles. And then an angel turns up and tells him, eat, take nourishment, get stronger again. Now, if that were me, I'd say, okay, it's pretty cool that an angel is cooking for me, but you've you've misheard me, God. I said, I don't want to go on. I don't want to be fed so that I can go on. I want to go now. I just, I don't want to keep going. And God doesn't say that. God says, eat. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Eat up. Restore your energy. Be encouraged so that you can live out the purposes that I have for you. And I love this, that every day you are living, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, even in the midst of darkness, even when you can't feel him or hear him or see him. He has plans for you. So be nourished. Strengthen yourself. You know, at the end of this journey, Elijah arrives at a mountain, and again, we're expecting that God, okay, there's something miraculous is going to happen. His suffering is going to be turned around. There's thunder, there's lightning, but God isn't in those things. Instead, God is in a gentle whisper, and he says, hey, Elijah, you think you're isolated and totally alone, but actually, there's thousands of people, kind of just down the road, who I've reserved as a community for you. You're not alone. You're not to face life alone, but you are called to be in this group. Nourishment. 
encouragement to keep going, even in the midst of darkness. So friends, while we wait for total restoration from God, either with miraculous healing in the here and now, or one day when we see Jesus face to face, what nourishes you? Really practically, maybe it is good sleep and following some basic sleep hygiene stuff. You can go on Google and find that stuff. Maybe it is eating regularly across the day to regulate your blood sugar levels. Maybe it is taking medication to alleviate distress or engaging in a talking therapy to really understand what's going on for you. Nourishment in the darkness. Maybe it's staying in community when all you want to do is withdraw and isolate yourself. And more than anything, it's holding on hope that God is not going to let you down, but you can bring your groans to him. And he sees that as an act of worship, that he will sustain you in the midst of darkness and unrelieved suffering so that you can keep going on the journey that he has for you. Before I hand everyone watching online back to the location, pastors, I'm just going to pray. And if you feel comfortable to, just open yourself up to God, a God who sees you, a God who loves you, totally accepts you. You don't have to polish yourself up. Oh, Father, you are a God who sees us. You are a God who knows suffering. I thank you that we come to a God who knows what it was like to be in total physical pain and psychological anguish. I thank you that you empathize with us, that you grieve with us. Father, I thank you that you sustain us in the middle of dark seasons. But Jesus, we also believe in you. We have total freedom and healing from the distortion that sin has on our life. Oh God, we wait on you for that total restoration to our minds and to our bodies. Jesus, I ask right now that you would just sustain and nourish my friends who are in this dark place. But God, I also pray that you would equip the rest of us to be a great community of body and a real body of believers to those people in darkness. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.